Hey, thanks for checking out the V1 Church podcast. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Mike Signorelli. This is the first episode of our series, Ain't No Grave. We know that God has a specific word for you, so make sure you listen until the very end. We are preaching Ain't No Grave, and you, man, any church that's going to use Johnny Cash for the bumper, you know you found a home. Come on now. Um, what am I preaching on today? Let's talk about graves. Let's talk about graves. Let's get morbid, okay? When you, okay, let's talk about what a physical grave is. Now, uh, as a pastor, I marry people and I bury people. Some people feel like that's the same ceremony, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> every time I'm like, Who, how many married people do we have in the church? You hear a groan instead of a shout. Everyone's like, ah, it's like the walking dead, you know? But uh, this is awesome. You should get married too. But when I do funerals and weddings, you know, that's just part of the role of being a pastor. And so here's what a physical grave is. A physical grave in America is a place where we bury you. We put you six feet under the ground and we pile dirt on top of you. And, you know, there's a finality that comes with that ceremony. You can go to a wake we're talking about stories from their life. We're laughing together. But then there's something about that graveside ceremony that there's a finality to it, you know? We say phrases in our culture like rest and peace, um, you know? And, and the other thing that I find a little ironic is the fact that we bury people in outfits that they wouldn't want to wear for more than four hours forever. And I'm just saying, like, when I croak, if the Lord tarries, um, whatever I wore that last Sunday, that's what I wanted to wear. Just put me in that. Because a whole bunch of people in the resurrection are kind of come back and be like, really, you did me like this? <laughs> did I ever look like this? So, I, you know, I'm trying to make it funny because morbid stuff is weird. But, but the reality is a grave has this level of finality to it. And we all live uh, with, with that sort of in our peripheral view, you know, that we kind of understand that, that we are not going to make it out of here alive in that sense. And a grave is a place where people um, are, we say this, laid to rest. You know, we, we, we say those type of statements. But I think when you preach ain't no grave, the reason why y'all got so fired up is because it, I don't think any of you were really shouting me down because you were thinking about the resurrection. I think you were thinking about a metaphorical grave. And so let's talk about what that is. If a physical grave has some finality to it, a metaphorical grave does as well. And there are some things in our lives that we bury. There's some dreams and some visions. There's hopes and expectations that we put six feet under the ground. We have ceremonies for them with our friends as we sit around at lunch talking about how we thought this was going to be the church for us, but it's not. Let's just put it in the ground. Let's bury that expectation. I thought that this marriage was going to be uh, everything, the, the fairy tale, but it's more like a nightmare. And so we, we bury things. There's a level of finality that we say that there is. That's a metaphorical grave. Um, I don't know who you are, but I know that you are probably facing a grave right now in your life. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're a millennial. 
and you grew up on that, uh, we, we called it self-esteem, um, where you won 36 place trophies and we told you that you were going to impact millions of lives, but you can't even help yourself. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I'm supposed to help millions of people. I can't even help myself. Um, only the millennials are laughing right now. Everyone else is older and they're mad at you. Uh, so this is just, you're, fa you're facing a grave. You know what I'm saying? And the people who are laughing at you are laughing with you because they gave us this reality. Praise God. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You may be facing a grave. I'm going to read you out of the book of Luke, or John. Evan read out of Luke. Um, hopefully he did. John chapter 11. So turn your Bibles to, to John chapter 11. If you're taking notes, I'm going to take you through this story now. John chapter 11, verse 1. Say amen when you found it. You remember that? Say amen if you're feverishly downloading the V1 Church app so you have a Bible on your phone and you're putting it right on top of Instagram so that the Lord can save your soul. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it was Mary, this is a side note, I love the side note, this is the gossip in scripture. Now it was Mary, you know that one Mary who had the profile on Tinder and had a profile on Craigslist because she was that nasty? If you're deep in the streets, you know that reference. Now it was Mary who was anointed, who anointed the Lord with perfume oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now this family is scandalous. This family's got problems. Now Mary, the Bible gives us an account, was a woman of ill repute, which is another one way of saying um, she was nasty. She had a reputation. You know how you get a reputation? By doing bad things. You don't even get the gossip unless some of it's true. Can somebody say amen? I remember when I was bad, people would be like, yeah, I heard you did this and this and this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I did about 30% of that. You know what I mean? When people are like, I don't believe they're lying on me. I'm like, some of it's true, though. So she had some, some things in her life. And the Bible says that she took about a year's worth of income. Now, we don't know how she got that money. She might have prostituted herself. We don't know how she got that year's worth of money, but it was a lavish gift called an alabaster box full of perfume, and she opened it up. Matter of fact, a lot of biblical scholars believe that Jesus would have had his feet tucked backwards because that was the practice of uh, Jews at that time and, and the way in which they would have been seated. And so she may have come up on him unaware and begin to lavish this expensive perfume. This aroma would have filled the atmosphere. And man, thank God. God, for, for somebody who has a revelation about who Jesus is, because I'd rather be the whore at his feet than be the Pharisee at the table judging everyone. But she began to lavishly anoint his feet. And the Bible actually says in Jesus, because people are like, why would she do this? And I don't understand. And Jesus said, listen, those who are forgiven much, they love much. If you can't understand this worship, Maybe you haven't been forgiven yet the depths of what she's been forgiven. 
If you're here and you're wondering, I don't understand why they cry the way they do at V1 during worship. I can't understand why they wave their hands and why they shout. Can I just tell you, I've been forgiven of so much. Let me explain it. If you owed me $1,000 and I forgave how much you owed, wouldn't you love me? Man, he, I, he, I owed him $1,000. Now, let me ask you this. If you owed me $100,000 and I, I forgave it, how much more would you love me? Those who have been forgiven much, love much, and if you're asking yourself, I just don't understand a church that worships like this. Can I tell you, maybe the entire place is full of some people that have been forgiven so much. The only thing that we have left to do is we're provoked by the spirit of God to say, I have been forgiven of so much I could never repay. I'll sing it from the rooftops. Can anyone help me out today? And that's who you have. Now you find out, not only is she scandalous, she's got a reputation, she's rolling with the master Jesus, but now her brother Lazarus is sick. He's sick. He's sick. Let me keep reading. So the sister sent word to him, to Jesus, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. And when he heard it, Jesus said, the sickness is not to death. Everyone say, it's not to death. Okay, think about that. This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God in order that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, then he remained in the place he has for two days. Wait a second. You love me so much, you'll show up later than I thought you would. Let me just, do you look at that scripture with me and you see it? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Then verse six, coordinated conjunction. So when he heard that he was sick, then he remained in the place he was for two days. But they said, now, I need you now, Jesus. I need you to show up now. He's sick now. This is an emergency. You don't understand, Jesus. I know you can do it. I believe you can do it, but I, I need you to show up now. And Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm gonna wait a couple days because it's gonna do a work inside of you before I do a work on Lazarus. And sometimes God will delay fulfilling your prayer long enough for that wait to do a work inside of you. And that's, I'm telling you, there's some people who got a revelation of that and know what I'm talking about. And there's some of you that don't, but I'm here to tell you that God in his love for you will to delay doing the miracle because the weight is the first step to it. Nobody going to shout that down because we hate waiting, but he will love you enough to say, I'm going to chill right here in this spot. I'm going to cool in the cut. That's how they say it nowadays. And I'm going to wait long enough so that the weight does something in them. Can I keep going? John chapter 11, verse 11 says this. He said these things, and after this, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going so that I can awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. So he, he's, he's talking metaphors, right? They're not picking up on it. Now, Jesus had been speaking about his death, and they thought that he was speaking about real sleep. So Jesus then said to him plainly, Yo, now this is in your Bible. Do you see the word yo? He said, yo, you're missing it. He's dead. So he has a Chef Ramsay moment. This is what Jesus does. 
He had patience with him. Oh, if he's sleeping, he'll, he'll wake up. Everything will be fine. My marriage isn't that bad. We'll just go on a date night and everything will be better. Oh, man, it's not really over. I'll just keep showing up to church every Sunday and I'll just keep singing the songs with them. It, it's not death. It's just sleep, right? It's real easy to make fun of the disciples, but what are you calling sleep that God's calling death today? So Jesus shows up and says, hey, yo, uh, he's dead. I'm a, he's dead. And sometimes God's got to give you an accurate description so that you finally see how profound the miracle's really going to be. My wife and I lost two pregnancies, two miscarriages. The second one, I had rededicated my life to Christ. The second one, I had been serving in ministry. The second one, I had been speaking and declaring scripture over her womb through the entirety of the pregnancy. And we had a lot of hope. But sometimes the doctor has to say, there's no heartbeat. Sometimes God allows us to hear those words. It's dead. It's dead. Because what happens next makes the miracle even more profound. Now, let me back up in scripture. Because I think there's something important happening here that I don't want you to miss in the text. John chapter 11 says this, when you go through 11 through 14, when you back up and then you look at, at the beginning, he says this, Jesus seems to, if there's a seemingly contradictory moment in scripture, but if you understand Jesus and you understand the revelation of this moment, you'll, you'll be able to extract some wisdom. Watch this. So he tells them he's dead. But if you back up, he, he already said this sickness is not to death. How is that possible? Can I explain? Does anyone want me to teach it? Here's what he says. It's not to death, then he's dead. Here's what he's saying. The way that you define death and the way that I define death is different. Your definition of death and my definition of death are different. There's some people who are mad at God because their God-fearing mother who showed up for Loden every Sunday, who said her prayers every day, who read scripture every day, who paid her tithes every time the video came on and didn't even scrutinize it, who gave everything she had to the local church, who told everyone she knew about Jesus still died of cancer. And in that anger that you have towards God, you say, God, where were you when she died? What if God's response to you is, you're defining death differently than me? You're defining death differently than me. Because, see, I have four children, two that I check into V1 Kids every week, and two that God, by his sovereignty, checked into heaven. But all four of them are going to impact millions of lives. All four of them are going to be used for the glory of God. All four of them have a destiny. All four of them have a purpose because I chose to define death the way that God defines death. Because none of us are going to get out of this thing without experiencing the death of just one part of us. And it might be the sexiest part of you if you work out. But it's not the only part, and it's certainly not the eternal one. And so God defines death differently. And Jesus now says, he's dead. You guys aren't figuring it out. And he was priming them for the miracle. See, what happened with the two miscarriages was a form of death. But God gives a spirit, even though me and Julie made physical bodies, and that spirit returns unto him. But see, there's another thing at play. There's another thing that I have to acknowledge, that there's a purpose and a glory that can still be found in that form of death. 
And there's somebody here that there's healing waiting for you when you accept God's version of the definition of death. And so what he does is he begins to declare out he's dead. Let me keep reading. I don't know what your situation is, what your grave is today, but God wants to redefine it. In John chapter 11, verse 17, as you continue on. So when he arrived, Jesus had found that he had already been dead four days in the tomb. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about 15 stadia. So many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary in order to console them concerning their brother. Do you hear that? When a situation gets bad, you're going to have more people showing up to console you than more saviors showing up to put power on display. See, I love that we're a church that'll hug you when something's going wrong. But you know what I love even more than that? That we're the kind of church that will declare boldly the word of faith and believe in a miracle, no matter what the situation looks like. That's who we are. We're not just here to give you a hug and hug you right into the grave, hug you right into that situation. It had been four days and somebody thought they were doing a good job by consoling, but they missed that Jesus was in their midst. And you know what's so crazy? If you're sitting here thinking, if I could just see Jesus in flesh, I'd be more of a believer. Guess what? They did. Then if you're thinking to yourself, if I could just see Jesus work a miracle, like a medically verified miracle right in front of me, I would believe more. He, they did. They did. As a matter of fact, I was in Israel preaching in a place called Chorazim. And, and in, that, in Chorazim is in Galilee, the region where Jesus did most of his miracles, most of his marvelous works, the Bible says. And do you know that in Chorazim, he got up in the temple and he actually said, I'm cursing this place to ruins because you have seen me do the most mighty works and you have not changed your heart. And do you know that in modern day Israel, right now in 2019, that Chorazim is still in ruins and they can't figure out why they can't build a thriving community there. It's almost as if Jesus's words are just continuing to ricochet through the corridors of time. I stood on the ruins of the temple where he would have, would have actually declared that. It's crazy. And if you're here and you're thinking that you need to see any more, no, it says, if you will believe. Blessed are those who believe and yet don't see. And so there's something that happens as he begins to redefine this. So when he arrived, he had been uh, found four days in the tomb. And so Martha and Mary, they have these people consoling them. Verse 20, verse 20. Now Martha when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. She was, you ever, you ever throw a tantrum? She was throwing a tantrum. Jesus never showed up. I reposted every Christian meme. I, I prayed. It never happened. I don't understand why I'm always broke. I keep supporting Jesus, but can't give to Jesus. I don't understand. I'm mad. Somebody said that just happened. <laughs> she was in the house throwing a fit. She knew Jesus was there, but she's like, I'm not even going to grace him with my presence. How often do we do that? And then it says this. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would have not died. And now it doesn't say this in the text but I believe there was a little bit more emotion behind it than what I just read. Because it's her brother. Do you know what it's like to lose a brother? Hopefully not. But I can imagine that it looked more like this. Her running out of the house, maybe even pounding on Jesus' chest. If you would have been here, Jesus, it wouldn't have went down like that. 
I put everything into the local church and I look like an idiot because look at my life. None of it's true. I think it would have read a little bit more like that. But it shows the strength of her character when she responds in the next verse like this. Oh, I love it so much. Even now, I know whatever you ask God, God will grant you. In the midst of her pain, there's this one glimmer, just a seedling form of faith. Said, if you would have been here, this whole thing would have never happened. But she's just open. She cracked the door and said, maybe there's still time for me to have the marriage of my dreams. Maybe there's still time for my purity to actually be an open door for a marriage. Maybe there's still time for that business to begin to accelerate and do what I believe God destined it to do. Maybe there's still time for that ministry in my life to still be fulfilled. Maybe I still will sing to stadiums. Maybe still there's a message for me to preach to the world. Maybe still that thing could, could happen. Even even though it's been four days stinking in the tomb, four days rot, four days stinking, and yet she has enough courage to say, but maybe, you know that God will even use a maybe in your life? Do you know that God will use a maybe? When Julie and I muster up the courage to say we just lost two babies back to back, but maybe, 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 you know, we got backstabbed by every pastor we ever served under. But maybe, maybe Road to Life's different. You know, maybe we don't even bring in enough money every week for us to even think about moving to New York. But those 18 people have such radical faith that if we sell everything we have and move out there, maybe it'll turn into something bigger than a living room church. Maybe God will do something with your maybe. God will do something with your maybe. I'll give me a thousand people with a maybe instead of giving me 10,000 with a no. All of a sudden, if you read this text, I believe her faith kicked open that door that she cracked. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Can you imagine being so close to the chest of Jesus that you can hear the reverberation as it comes out of his mouth? Your brother will rise again. Think about loved ones that you lost. Think about situations that you're mourning right now. They will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus has a way when you start operating in faith to actually cause the Ephesians life to begin to take place where you will, will see exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask, more than you can imagine. Every single day of my existence doing life with you, how precious it is. It's more than I could ever imagine when I see you begin to move into your callings, move into your gifting, step into your destiny. How precious and beyond my wildest hopes more, more. And when we make that bold declaration, ain't no grave, some of you might be thinking, yeah, one day. What if Jesus was telling you that day is today? What if he's saying it's today? It says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, comma, parentheses, by your definition, even if he dies, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Come on. Do you believe this? 
she said to him, yes, Lord, yes. I should have had a New York no. My default should have been no. But I find something in deeper inside of my belly crying out, yes. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who comes into the world, who comes into my world, who comes into the world of prostitutes and pimps, who comes in the world of thieves, who comes into the world of adulterers and fornicators, who comes into the world who, who have the needle still in their arm, alcohol still on their breast. You come into my world. You clothe yourself with flesh that looks like my flesh. You were tempted the way I was tempted. You were tried the way I was tried. You come into this world and I believe. Then Jesus deeply moved within himself again. Oh, I would that somebody would move Jesus today. He has emotions just like you. You were created in his image, in his likeness. You think anger is his emotion or your emotion, it's his emotion. Anything that you have a propensity to feel, he gave you that ability to feel because you're modeled after him. You can stir up the emotions of God. You can move God. I heard a story once. I don't know that it's true and I don't even really care. But this guy said that he had a visitation in heaven. And he said, all of a sudden, the angels were circling around, around the throne of God. And as they were circling around the throne of God and singing out their praises, uh, God on his throne twitched his finger. And the angels were just thrown in every direction. And as they crashed to the ground, they got up and said, whoa, that's awesome. And he asked the person next to him, what just happened? And he said, somebody on earth just moved God. Somebody on earth just moved God. And I don't care whether that story is true or not, but I like to think that down here in the funk, down here in the testing and the trials of life, down here in the midst of fear and panic and anxiety and all this garbage that they try to pile on top of us, that somebody would shoot their hand to the sky and move God from heaven and say, I've got to respond because God was responding here. Deeply moved within himself, he came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying on it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the one who had died, said to him, Lord, he is stinking already because it's been four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes. And he said this, Father, I give you thanks. Thanks that you hear me. And I know that you always hear me. But for the sake of the crowd standing around, I say it. So that they may believe that you sent me. And then he said these things. And then with a loud voice, he cried out this phrase. Lazarus, come forth. And instantly Lazarus came back to life and came out of that tomb. But the Bible said the only reason why he did it with his loud voice is so everybody around, all the comforters, it's gonna be okay, all the mourners. He said, I'm doing this loud enough so that they can see that my miracle working power is valid and I am who I say I am. And God is gonna get loud enough in your life in this season, not for your own sake, but so that everyone around you can see and know that he is who he said he is. This is what I see. As I was walking down the street in Queens, I had this moment where 
I was getting ready to go to our Queens location. I was saying, God, show me what you want to show me. I'm open to whatever you want to show me. And I looked down on the ground at Atlas Park and I saw this green reverse card from the game Uno. You guys ever play Uno? I'm the oldest of five kids. I never lost that game. I'm just saying. <laughs> and so we played Uno growing up and I looked at that reverse card on the ground and it was right after I said, God, what, what do you want to show me? And I picked that card up and as we come into ain't no grave, I feel like somebody here needs to hear that you got to draw for. <laughs> you had all these crazy circumstances when you, you, you were so hyped up on 2019. You thought you were windmill kinked right through every single month. You thought by now everything was going to be different and you've taken some major league beatdowns. But I'm here to make a bold declaration just like I see in scripture that God is getting ready to play the reverse card in your life. God's getting ready to put down that reverse card in your life. Everything that people have spoke over you, death, disease, sickness, divorce, there's a reverse card that's getting ready to be played. I hope somebody hears me today. There is a reverse card that's getting ready to be played in your life. God's gonna put it down in your life. You're gonna know that he is God when you see this thing happen. One of the few memories that I have with my father when I was growing up was looking, and we, I was in the passenger side, five years old, passenger side of my dad's Camaro, and he had his left hand on the wheel, and I looked up at my dad, and I remember at five years old having this acknowledgement, that's my dad. It's one of the few memories I have with my dad. Well, do you know that I was driving to church today, and I put Everly in the front seat as we came through the parking lot, because she thought it was cool. And as I was driving, I had my left hand on that steering wheel and my daughter was looking up at me and I looked at her and I got a flashback to that moment. My dad was a bad guy, went to jail for murder. He's passed away since. And as my daughter was looking at me, I thought to myself, my God, what a miracle. See, you don't understand the miracle until you understand death, until Jesus gives you the courage to see something for what it really is. And he had to show me, man, this was bad what you went through, Mike, it was death. But only when I saw what it really was could I appreciate the true miracle. And here I am driving in this parking lot, coming to church with my daughter. And I thought to myself, she's marked now. She'll never be the same because when she draws from the memory of her childhood, she's gonna look and say, I remember looking at my dad in a Subaru. And all of a sudden we were driving to church because he stood up and said, I will be the righteousness of this family line because God played the reverse card in my life. It said everything the devil thought he was going to destroy you with our rebirth is there anyone here who will jump to their feet and say reverse it God reverse it in my life is there anyone here who will stand up and say I want that resurrection power in my life you know I was reading this study and in this study they had earthworms I know you guys don't see those in the concrete jungle here but these earthworms, they were subjecting them. Scientists were subjecting these earthworms to trauma and stress. And then under a microscope, they were evaluating their gene expression. And what they discovered is that when they subject earthworm to extreme stress and, and, and really take it there, that gene expression is actually passed down to 14 generations and they've seen it go to five generations in mice. And I was thinking about some of you today. I don't know your dad's story. 
I don't know your grandfather's story, your great-grandfather's story, but it's in your DNA. And there are things that require us standing up and saying, I know that it runs in my family, but I'm where it runs out. I know this thing runs in my family, but I'm where it runs out. And I don't know who you are today, but I'm calling some Lazarus to come out of the tomb. I know you've heard preachers preach it before, but this time I'm preaching it to you. Come forth. And here's the last thing I want to end on. See, they prepare burial. And in that time, it would have almost been like mummification. They would have taken these grave clothes, they're called, and they would have taken Lazarus' body. And as they were weeping and crying and mourning, and they would have, one strand at a time, wrapped his body. And they would have been preparing it for the grave. See, what happens too often is that we prepare situations in our lives for the grave. We sit in a church service and say, I think I'm going to have to bury this expectation that this church could be it. And you start to wrap it up. You, you're in a relationship. You're in a marriage. You perpetually see that person fail you and you start preparing it for the grave. This isn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. And you start wrapping it up. You start wrapping it up. You start that new job. You start that new career. I've spoken with a lot of people recently who are fighting for their purity. And they get into relationships with people that they think are going to be their knight in shining armor. And at a certain point, they say, I think I'm ready for a sexual relationship, not understanding God's standard. And they start looking at their purity and saying, I think I'll just put this in the tomb. But what I love about this story, if you keep on reading, is after Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, he come hopping out of that tomb, still covered with the remnants of a previous season, still covered with the remnants of somebody else's expectation, still covered with the remnants of what somebody else put on him. See, somebody else here has somebody in your life who's already declared your death, has already determined you're never coming back. See, it sounds like a good testimony to you, but when I was an alcoholic, there were people who decided Mike's never coming back. Well, how do you like me now? I heard the voice call me out of the tomb, but you got to come out, and you might be coming out like this. And what Jesus said was, loose that man and let him go. And there's somebody here who's already said yes to Jesus. But can I tell you, you've got the grave clothes on of another season. You've got the expectations of another person. And before you walk out of here, I believe that somebody can hear that word, loose that man and let him go. Loose that woman and let her go. Take off their expectations. Take off their false expectations. Take off their false idea of what's going to happen. Experience resurrection power. Ain't no grave going to hold your body down. Ain't no grave going to hold your destiny down. Ain't no grave going to hold your hope down. Ain't no grave going to hold your family down. If you're here right now and you feel, God, I want to receive what you have for me. I want to say yes today. Play that reverse card in my life. Would you just raise your hand right now? That's me. That's me. I need that resurrection power in my life. Come on. 
Come on, look at all those hands. Congratulations, you've made it to the end of this podcast. We know that God has impacted you in a specific way. Would you please rate, leave a review, and share this podcast with someone else who needs to hear this message? And we'll see you next week.